1: He just loved loved to get off school to go fishing if his daddy said to him, you know, oh you have a half day, such and such well he would have said, can I get off to go fishing daddy or if you're fishing the weekend can I go with you, which was very rare for daddy and then to fish the weekend or night oh you know, but um, we Michael just he lived for the fishing and about he was watching that perfect storm with George Clooney it came out shortly before daddy and then were killed and um he said to his mother he says mommy he says you know he says whenever I get older he says and I become a captain of my ship he says my ship goes down don't you cry he says because a captain goes with ship and then words hurt really haunt Kathleen this day because you know she thinks to herself you know it wasn't that long before they did die that he had said this to her and she was saying thinking to herself you try to interpret sort of things I'd said well, well, did he mean that because he knew something or silly I know it's just probably silly but you everything goes through your head at a time like that an air and sea search is continuing off the county down coast for three members of a family who left the port of Kilkeel in a small fishing boat early yesterday morning. The Coast Guard says the disappearance of the vessel has been upgraded from an emergency to a mayday situation.
0: Very calm, clear day. I mean, we've had to say in the cruel sea, and, and there's a sense of truth to that. It, you, sea is unpredictable, you just never know. If something happens at home... You can, in a sense assure you can run. But they see, there's nowhere to run to. There's a life raft, a lifeboat. There is nowhere to run. You're left to face the sea.
1: They hadn't been out since the Christmas. Um, they were decommissioning. And the wee boy, and the three of them, really, wanted to just have one more item on the boat. And they decided they would go out on the 13th. Night fourteenth morning, and um, that was it. They never come home. I was up that morning from five o'clock. Couldn't sleep, and um, there was nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing till draw your attention till anything you know that would have sort of been out of place. I watched all the boats going out, and you could even see the boats fishing off. You know, so there was nothing on board that. Would have made you sort of say, God, there's something happened out there, you know? My father and them, I think, had to go out about quarter past three, but they reckon they reached the grounds about between five and half five. So um, then it literally only reached the grounds when. Three generations of the same family, a grandfather, father, and son, all called Michael Green, are missing. The signs are not good. They left the port of Kilkeel County down early yesterday morning to go fishing for prawns at the mouth of Carlingford Lock. Conditions were very calm at the time. The boy was on his half-term break, leaving him free to go on the trip. Concern grew when there was no communication from the vessel yesterday evening. A huge search operation involving fishermen and rescue services from the UK and the Republic is now underway. Yes, I
0: can remember getting a phone call saying there's a boat missing. Um and I remember going, coming down to the harbour. The people were beginning to gather at the harbour to find out what was happening. I remember going to the greens. I remember being with them. Um, the pictures are real in my mind. It's difficult to sort of know how to pray, especially when um, we know the lifeboat's out. We can pray for the, the safe recovery, but sometimes we know if a ship has gone down, there's no sign. There's no sign of a life raft. Um, the the chances of survivors are, uh, is then limited.
1: We were extremely close, as I say. I mean, there only was myself and my two brothers when we grew up. And we were out on our own in the country. So I only ever had them to muck about with or carry on with. And that made us even closer. And, you know, nobody got... Past Michael, I mean, when I was going out with boys, it was had to go through Michael first, you know. But um, in a way, I look back it, and I really, I really, really cherish it because I really had such a wonderful, happy childhood, and that overcomes the bad. Michael was three years older than me, but it felt like a year. As you get older, I suppose three years seem nothing, but. When we were younger, like I suppose you know, we did boss about a bit, like older brothers do. But like there was five years between Michael and Jeffrey, my younger brother, and that didn't seem matter either. You know, the years weren't there really. <clears throat> Michael was extremely young at heart. Always loved Christmas. Um, loved children. Totally adored children and was like my father. He was totally devoted to his wife. They were just... Michael and Kathleen, to me, were... a double of my own mother and father. Extremely happy. Didn't have very much, but were extremely happy. They had each other, and they had their family and their health. And we were all the same. I mean, we've all been brought up that way. If you have your health, you have everything. Christmas always a wonderful in our house because Daddy and Mummy just... Loved Christmas. Daddy was only twenty when Michael was born, so he was a young granddaughter. <laughs> for to have a, a 14, 13 year old granddaughter. He was extremely young, I suppose. And he had um, arthritic pains, or I mean, he arthritis in his hip joints and three-quarter way up his spine. But in saying that, he he did his best. You know, it didn't. He didn't. He would have joked with the children and carried on with them as much as he possibly could have. But um, full of fun and devilment, really. <laughs> and, and Michael and Geoffrey both, and I suppose myself, in a way, if I was honest, to take after him. Michael was, uh, had just got, on the Monday, before he went out, um, he had just got a, a health check done for the long-distance lorry driving. And he had got all clear and everything, and um, got his photographs and that taken. But his photographs were—they weren't Michael, if if that if you can understand me. They were. It was like it was Michael, but it was a haunted look Michael. It was really They scare me even looking at them. Yet they weren't the brother I knew. They're weird looking. It was like a haunted look on his face, as if you know. I, this is me taking photographs, and I might as well not bother. You know, it was really weird. I know that's how it does sound weird, but he had his sea survival suit on him in the picture, so he had, and it was as if to say, you know, there's really no point in me getting these photographs. You know, it's just a haunted look on his face. It's just you, you interpret it out of the photograph, I mean it. I don't know if you've mentioned anything like that but it's just what we look at in the photograph and we think, you know, because other photographs he's always grinny and smelly and real cheesy, you know but he wasn't in this one he wasn't looking forward to decommissioning the boat he was looking forward to being a lorry driver, yeah but he'd never worked on land, ever so, um, I don't know, I, I just I could never have seen Michael on land working from school he, he was on the boat he was only fourth year at school and he gave up his last year at school I mean he was going to fishing anyway and um, he went straight to the fishing with Daddy we Michael just he was just a gem a we devil but a gem um, we lived beside him I, can't, I don't even know how many years from he was born up till about Six years or so before they died. So he was maybe four or five whenever we left Ballykeel Court. And um, he cried because we were leaving. Because there only was Miss Marf, our family, Michael's family in the estate to play with at the time. And uh, I remember saying to the three of them, don't worry, you should come on stay in my house tonight, you know, my first night, and I promised you, I promised them at the start, when we were building the house, that the three of them would be staying with me the first night. And I think he thought we'd forgot. And he he started to cry. And my husband, he broke down, he started to cry. <laughs> so we went back down the road and took the three of them up. But he was, oh, he loved football, and just to wee devil. I mean, they had... A wee mini dash hound, too many dash hounds, and one had just given birth to a wee pup just in the January, and he couldn't wait to get this pup up to an older age where it'd be able to tease it. And he was teasing it, and it wasn't even hardly able to move, you know. But he was—he was a lovable child, such a lovable child. Even though Daddy and Michael were getting out of the fishing, we Michael was determined he was going to fish. When he got older.
0: I think if you allow fear to dominate you, you wouldn't go to sea. And uh, so it's respect for the sea. They know it can be treacherous. They know it in a minute, in a second, a wave can change your life forever.
1: I loved the sea right up until about um, 1985. I started to sort of dislike it then. My uncle was drowned in the harbour. And I got a fear for it because I thought, if this happens in the harbour, what can happen when they're out at sea? But I always prayed. I mean, that's the only thing you can do. I mean, when it's in their blood, you can't ever change them. There's always the fear, um, continual fear of fishing and the harm. I mean, the dangers are there. There's always that fear. No matter how big the boat is, it's small compared to the sea. And um, when you've only got that small amount of space and such a big expanse of sea... There's nothing really you can do. And out there, I don't think it matters. I think once you go into the water, it's so cold, you don't have much time. My sister-in-law phoned the Coast Guard um, to say that she wasn't able to contact her husband and my father and that her wee son was on the boat. And um, my mum went up the road, must have been around 2, two three o'clock, and... Um, I had my three children with me at this stage and they had supposed to be school the next morning. So I said to Mum, i go home, leave the children off and come back in. But she was adamant, I go home. And um, she went up the road and Thomas lives just across the road, Daddy's older brother. Now, Daddy just looked up to Thomas, told She went across, or she phoned Thomas over and she told Thomas that Daddy and Michael and the child hadn't come in. And Thomas, I think Thomas came over to Mummy's and Mummy went and got Geoffrey and Patricia. They lived up, just up the yard a bit from Mummy and him. And um, at five o'clock, Mummy then phoned the Coast Guard and told them that reported the same as cattling had done previously. And they said that they were already trying to contact the boat I can't, and my we said, look, they've been gone more than 24 hours, you know, I'm really, really extremely worried. They've got an eight-year-old on board. And um, they said they were sending Nimrod out in daybreak, so that's what they've done. So we got a phone call here at five to say that Nimrod was being sent out. Five in the morning, five o'clock Friday morning.
2: And on the 15th of uh, February 2002, Uh, we had a report of what was at that time a missing persons report, three members of the Green family missing Uh, during the the 15th day that certainly uh, changed to a more serious incident uh, with uh, the clear understanding that the Tullamary Lass had foundered and uh, the three three, uh, members of the Green family, uh, three Michaels as have become known as uh, perished. Uh, from a policing point of view, we were keeping in contact with the with the Green family and we had a liaison, uh, people identified, to work with the families. Uh, throughout the, uh, the 15th, uh, we became aware of uh, pieces of the uh, Tullamore last being discovered at sea and that confirmed the, the, the tragedy had taken place.
0: It's important, I think... It, people don't bring false hope. Um, people talk too much sometimes and bring, uh, rather than leave it to those that are involved to deal with the problem and to answer the family. Uh, speculation is, 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 people speculate as to what is actually happening there and they don't know. And that was one of the great problems we faced was speculation done probably the best of intentions, but I maybe thought at the same time they're bringing comfort. But speculation can be dangerous. What do you say? You say a little, give facts, straight facts, as they are, um, and not to speculate, and not to bring false hope. um, Because they are looking for hope. But if you start giving false hope, and that hopes are dashed. That's that's cruel to them. So you try and bring the story back to them as it really is at that point in time.
1: I went down to the harbour on the 14th night um, with the new vehicle that we had bought because I had said to my dad with his arthritic spine, I said, you know, dad, I actually, I called him daddy. I said, daddy, you know, it has heated seats. And this is a big thing, like, you know, for us. I guess it'd be great for your back. And I says, I'll be down at the harbour tomorrow evening to pick you up. I am we went down to the harbour. And we stayed till 1.30 in the morning. And I knew then. I knew we were we were talking bodies then. Because my father never, or my brother, never... There would maybe have been half an hour, never, ever anything more. If they said they were coming in at half six, they were in between half six and seven. They said they would be at around six, between six and seven. Well, you knew that's the time they would have been in. They didn't come in. And we watched every boat, me and my mother. I mean, I had been out to Kathleen's and said, you know, we were trying to phone the boat, and we can't get no answer, and... There was 313 calls or something made to Michael's mobile that night. And obviously none of them were answered because <laughs> the clip was found on the one of the windows of the wheelhouse. And um, where I think the phone maybe was in his pocket, I don't know. I mean, he kept everything in his survival suit, which he wasn't wearing because he was in bed. No, we knew that night. We were talking bodies. Even Kathleen knew, yeah.
0: One man being lost is a tragedy for that family. But the Greens, obviously, with little Michael being aboard and with the hunt for the Tory Murray Lass, and it went on for such a long period of time, and then the question, was their bodies aboard? Weren't there aboard? And rumours going round as to what was actually happening made it very, very difficult. And, of course, it got high priority and publicity in the press. And this made it very difficult for the family. But again, talking to other families around, when there is a tragedy, it brings home to them their tragedies that they have experienced over the years. I remember one man saying, "I can, and he was in his 80s, saying, I can still see my crew in the water.
1: Looking back on it, it was like a day. It's, you know, I can't remember it. There's bits of it I can remember and bits I can't remember. Um, Obviously, the Friday, the... Fifteenth was the big day that you do remember, and I'll always stick by you because there was the plane was hovering over my own house out right around the the out right round the sea here, and um, you know I, you just it seems as if you're living in a in a nightmare, and you're going somebody's going to pinch you, and you're going to wake up, you know, but it doesn't happen. It's like it was just like a long wake because there was people continually coming. You know, it wasn't just the two days that people maybe seen on TV or whatever, or the day of the funeral. It was eight and a half weeks of people coming every day. And only for them people, we would never have coped. I mean, you were torn between two homes. I'm extremely close to both of my brothers, but I used to live next door to my brother, Michael and um, I was really close to my dad and um, I was up home every day and I was at Michael's every day and my other brother lives up home so I was always seeing them every day as well but you were torn between if you're not home you felt guilty because you thought you should have been in Michael's house with Kathleen because the girls as well and Kathleen and you felt then you should have been at home with Mummy. When you were at Kathleen's and Michael's, you know, and it, you just were torturing the two of them.
2: Really, really, it became clear that the the vessel had foundered, and uh, using sonar and uh, every every available piece of equipment, they were, they were searching uh, s- square s- squares of square grids of the, of the area to try and locate the Talimeri last. And at the same time, everyone in the in the area wanted to wanted to help, and, and they were searching beaches to, to try and find some sort of uh, anything that would, would be connected with the Tullamore last to give us some sort of steer as to where the vessel was.
0: This is the thing, when there is a tragedy, people begin to gather. Uh, families come round, the community comes round to support those that are going through the trauma. It's, it's the same in every fishing village, every fishing port. As soon as they hear there's a tragedy, uh, people are touched and they, they would go and surround the family and just to be with them and say, look, we're here with you. you." Sometimes, like the grains it went on, prayers weren't answered immediately. Uh, We don't know why. We're praying the bodies would be recovered and praying that they would find comfort and strength and that the bodies would be recovered and it would help them to to bring comfort to them that their loved ones was was home and that rest. Because that was important for them. They knew that point, yes, after after it, once wreckage was found, they knew they were looking for bodies.
1: You do fear it. I mean, every time they went out, when we were younger, like we were a Catholic family, and we were brought up. My father wasn't over religious, but he was very strict uh, at us going to chapel, going to confessions, communion, whatever. And he was adamant about prayers and what have you, very, very much so as was my brother. But um, that was all we could do. I mean, Daddy, yes, I suppose when I say he wasn't over holy, he was in a way because he had everything blessed. The boat was blessed. You know, he had holy pictures in the boat. He had blessed salt in the boat. He had holy water in the boat. He had everything like that. But um, every... I suppose every fishing town or village or whatever and every fishing family would understand by saying, yes, you do fear. Every time they go out around that pier, are they going to come home? I've always prayed anyway, but it was the one thing that kept us close and kept us going the whole time they were missing was the prayers and the people. It's now more than a month since the Tullamurray last disappeared. The Green family have now sadly accepted that they won't see their loved ones again. I'm joined on the line by Sergeant Elvin Leach, who's in charge of the underwater search unit in Kilkeel. You have located the boat. What can you tell us?
2: Well, um, the boat was located last evening by the Fisheries Protection Vessel, the Ken Vickers. It was located by Sidescan Sonar. Uh, we were immediately alerted to be on standby to go and investigate this sonar reading. We went to Coquille uh, this morning at first light and went out aboard the Kent Vickers uh, to a position approximately seven miles uh, east of Coquille. Uh, there we, uh, we commenced our diving operation. Uh, we found on the bottom uh, the wreck of a fishing vessel which we... Identified as that of the Tolomori lass. She's sitting in 42 meters of water uh, on a sandy seabed and she's sitting upright. The, in our uh, dives today and in our investigations today, we have seen no signs of any human remains. Well, the 12th uh, I accompanied Alvin uh, and his diving team on board the Ken vickers crew out to the dive scene seven miles east of Kilkeel. and uh, as I understand it and it, as I say it was an education for me there was zero visibility at, at stages on this on the seabed but nevertheless his diver was able to recover uh, Edward Me Green which is the grandfather uh, to the surface now We understood, we knew we couldn't go back out again to the scene and we knew it would be the following day and I don't think there was any of us, including Elvin's diving team and the the crews of the Ken Vickers. I don't think any of us had a peaceful night's sleep. No one but the family had one body home and it was vitally important that the the other two would be brought home as well. Uh, Kathleen, young Michael's mother, had specifically asked me uh, that if we had discovered the bodies that we wouldn't leave young michael down there on his own so uh, we made a, a conscious effort um, on the saturday morning to remove his remove him before his father uh, so we recovered him to the surface first um, and then his father was, was, was recovered last uh, which was it was harrowing it was uh, it was really uh, one of the hardest things that we have we have had to do was to bring those bodies ashore um, to the family uh, at Warren Point Harbour um, and I don't think there was a dry eye uh, on the quayside um, all these supposed uh, roughy tufty uh, policemen and roughy tufty divers and no Ross Dan Cranner
0: One of the bodies was found at night and it was it was poignant it was dark and then the next day, I think my wife opened the curtains and we knew by this time that there was the other two bodies was on the boat and I think she summed it up as by saying it was like a resurrection and I happened to say this to one of the greens said, so my wife just said this morning. It's like a resurrection. He said, that's funny, he said, I just drew back my curtains. He said, I just thought about the same. And he said, it reminded me of the resurrection, because it was around Easter time. And it, it reminded us of our Lord's resurrection. I'll
1: never forget it. <laughs> I'll never forget it. My daughter, um, Michael's daughter, Stephanie, the, the second eldest girl, um, she was the treat to my sorry, my daughter Michaela and Stephanie were both making their confirmation that year and my daughter my youngest daughter was making her communion, along with wee Michael, supposedly. But um the confirmation was first to come up and um, it was about two and a half weeks before the confirmation we decided it was a Friday night, we decided right, we're gonna have to go and get something for confirmation because we had nothing. You know, they still didn't give us much hope of getting bodies at that stage. And we didn't know that they had actually, the divers had decided to dive on the boat that night, that day or that evening. And myself, my mum, and my sister in law, Patricia, Jeffrey's wife, uh, and Michaela went up to Nure to shop to see if we could get something um, up in the Buttercrane. And we were just into the buttercream when we got a phone call to say that Daddy's body was on board the Ken Vickers, which was the the, the um, fisheries vessel that brought them in, and that uh, was total mayhem to get down the road. You know, I know it was only from Yuri to one point, but it was just it seemed like forever. And Friday night in in Urie is just chaotic. So yes, we I it would have been about seven o'clock so then we, we knew we had all planned where the bodies were going because we wanted it pr- as private as possible i mean nobody knew they were going till a warm point because we thought if we bring them to Kilkeel it'll be all press and we just felt we needed time on our own with them and then on the friday evening daddy's body came up but we weren't allowed near him but it wasn't even that they were in body bag he was in a body bag obviously but he we just wanted to go over. He was still wearing his boots. And we just felt, you know, it'd be nice to go over and say, you know, Dad, we're here. You know, we're here for you. You know, and... Uh, I think Ronnie... the policeman... He he was brilliant, so he was. You know, and I think he was doing it... for our own good, really. Um. He was trying to sort of ease it on us, that it wouldn't be so tough, you know, to try and go over and touch a body bag and knowing you can't open it, you know. I think that was...
0: So didn't you went, Didn't you were able to touch the body bag? No, no,
1: no, no, You weren't lying yet. Just,
0: just from a distance?
1: Well, it was a few feet, three, four feet away, and, but it's a long distance, whenever you've haven't seen them in eight weeks, eight and a half weeks. They brought Daddy's body up first. Elvin Leach, the head diver, he said to us that he brought Daddy's body up, obviously because Daddy was on top of the two other ones. So um, he said he thought it would be better and he thought it would be what Daddy would have wanted because he would like Michael and the child to spend the last night together on the boat. And on the Saturday we waited and at four o'clock we got the phone call to say that they were on their way with my brother and my nephew and uh, it was devastating. It was very hard because the press tried again. Um, I understand they've done a great job for us. I mean, only for them, we would have been totally lost, you know, only for the press. You wouldn't have had the, the coverage, but it was a private time. It was a time that we needed on our own. And Michael's two girls, well, one, I think, maybe two, I don't know. Two girls were there. And um, to see a father and son's body coming up in body bags, it's not a nice sight. You know, and knowing the child was coming up, and he was the first one up, and Michael's body was on the boat. And these photographers were photographing Megas body coming up. And it wasn't till the next day that it re- we realised that the were photographers. We thought there were the, um, the boat that comes in ahead of the Ken to guide them into the warm point, but it wasn't. We didn't know who they were, but apparently they had paid somebody on the other side to let them have. A boat or something, and um, we'll never know that. I don't know if that's right or not. With us, what we were told, and um, just to, then after that terrible shock of having to see the two bodies coming up, especially an eight-year-old and a thirty-two-year-old man or thirty-three-year-old man. I'm sorry. Um, plus, you'd been through the previous night of daddy. And then on the Sunday morning, you wake up and you open your Sunday paper. You don't even open it, it's on the front page. Body bag. It was devastating. I mean, I do understand the way the press works, and I do understand, and we thank them immensely. But just that one day, they could have just given us it.
0: It brought a certain type of closure because it wasn't they wanted their loved ones home, and they felt they could put them to rest. I remember a widow of in, her, in her 80s saying to me, um, at least I know where my husband's body is. I know where he is. And some of his crew wasn't found, but he was found. At least I know where my husband is. And I felt sorry for those who don't know. And this was uh, something that happened in the 50s and, and when she was in her 30s. And this is uh, 50 years later, not knowing, but she knew. And she said, at least I know. I've got that comfort. I've got that strength to know my husband's body is at rest back home
1: I mean, to be able to give them the burial that we know they would have wanted was, it was great you know, yes we couldn't see them I mean, the coffins were closed but we all got to put in our wee bits that we felt made us, you know sort of, maybe people would think it's strange but We've been photographs of the children and that, and wee notes and silly wee things, I suppose, but um, they meant a lot to us. You know, whenever you go into a room, and there's two, in my my brother's house, there was a white coffin and a a wooden brown coffin, with lids on. To me, it was two boxes, and my sister-in-law say the same. And in my father's house, it was a, a wooden box, I wanted to see my dad, I didn't want to see a coffin. I wanted to see my brother and my nephew, give them a kiss and say, we'll love you, and we'll see you again, but it wasn't meant to be. I mean, they were very private people, and maybe that was the reason that the coffins were closed, or, you know, the reason that they were so long away was because they didn't want to be found. <laughs> they wanted the coffins to be closed. I don't know, I mean, I'll never know. Hopefully one day we do see them again.
0: I think there's very little one can say to them. You just, you're alongside them, you listen to them, rather than me trying to talk. I think it's important I listen to them and let them talk, let them express their feelings. Um, There's no words really to say, just to be alongside, and to say, look, we're thinking of you, we're there with you, the community's there with you. we seek to bring comfort, we're praying for you, just to assure, to reassure them that we are praying for them, and we're alongside them. I think sometimes they can't pray themselves, perhaps. Uh, they don't know what they pray. Their mind's in a turmoil, and you're there supporting them, just to be there. I think it's like the the poem, you know, the footsteps. And you look back and say there's only one set. And where the Lord says, well, that was my sin. I was carrying you. And we have to do that ministry of carrying them through that tragedy and help them through it, because um, their mind's a autonomous, well, physically, mentally, spiritually. Why? 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 There's no answer. There's no answer to that why. We don't know.
1: Oh, you continually ask yourself. I mean, myself, my sister-in-law... We would be very. We are extremely close. I mean, we were close anyway, but now that Michael has gone, we're really close. Me, um, myself, and her would be. If I am not in her house, she's in my house, so it would be a talk about. It's always Michael, the child, and dad. Right? It it always you know comes back to that. And if they had have been here, and what, how did they cope, or you know, what really happened? You know, you are always. Asking yourself that. For my sister and Kathleen, and for my mum, and for all of us, I mean, Jeffrey and myself, you know, the children have been through hell and back. All of us, you know, because we were such a close, really, really close-knit family. it has been hell, because you're continually asking yourself, you know, did the suffer, or was it quick? And then you think to yourself, right, well, if they had time to get together... They had to had time to think. And you do, you do, there's many tonight, you cry yourself to sleep. And my sister-in-law and, and her two wee girls, I mean, it's only hitting. My brother's eldest wee girl now. And she is, she keeps looking for her daddy. She has a picture above her bed that when she closes her eyes, It's him she closes her eyes to and it's him that she wakes up to in the morning. And my mother just can't even go home. It hasn't got any easier. I mean, you just learn to live with it, but your pain gets deeper. Day to Daddy was just another day and mummy. It's hard, but <laughs> Daddy wasn't a romantic. <laughs> he would have been in in small ways, meaningful ways, not cards or flowers, or. but uh, my brother was a romantic, big romantic, and um, he had left Kathleen the most beautiful Valentine's card, and it was the most beautiful verse So he wrote himself. He had awarded it so beautifully and Kathleen didn't give Michael her Valentine's card because she thought he would bring in and um, that broke her heart that really broke her heart that she held on to that Valentine's card for eight and a half weeks and put it in a coffin but well, they would have been 13 years married in the June and Michael never ever was out with another girl, only Kathleen Kathleen was just his his princess as he used to say she'll never get over that I mean my mum's heart find it extremely hard and like she's not an old woman either I mean she's only coming 55 or so this year so her and daddy I mean her and daddy had never been out with anybody else only themselves, each other you know that was it so they were childhood sweethearts too so I mean it does it It's devastating because both of them, both, you know, Kathleen, Michael, Mummy and Daddy, they didn't go anywhere without the other. It makes you wonder why people so good and so devoted to one another are taken, are separated. Why take the good, but then say the good always go first?